Welcome back, Bulls Nation, to another episode of wow. Nothing But Bull. I'm your host, Derek, and of course, I'm here with Justin, who disappeared last weekend, but he's here. I didn't voluntarily disappear. Um, it's not like I was just like, peace, I'm out. Like, no. Um, I had <laughs> the... <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. It was triumphant the way I left the the, uh, the room, wasn't it? But um, no, that's not what I was going for. I had the the iPad charging, and I don't know if anybody noticed that there were times that, like, the camera went off, like everything went dark. But that was me turning off the camera, trying to find the charger, and I couldn't like very well just like lean down or crawl underneath like the table to try to charge. <laughs> while we were recording so i i got you it plugged in. like dip no i didn't decide to dip the, the power just went off on me so yeah i i apologize for that i was not uh not trying to plan a, a dramatic exit like that although that when cool. i watched the episode it was pretty dramatic just like <laughs> just out <laughs> and of course we have melissa here what up, everybody? What's up, Bulls, Bulls Nation? Um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like that was intentional, Justin, but we'll let you. Because you celebrated and everything. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and it was gone. Yeah. As soon as, yeah, as soon as Tony left, you're like, yeah, and then that's it. He left. <laughs> well, see, now you make it sound like I was celebrating that Tony like got off the show. No, <laughs> I was celebrating because I felt like our podcast was just like so good. And um, I thought we had hit the, the perfect high note. So I was like, yes. And then everything just went off. It was like perfect timing that I was not trying to do. So <laughs> it's one of those things that happens. Well, we hope you can celebrate after this one. Yes, because... I've charged them. Yeah, don't leave us early again. Make sure you're all charged up. Because our special guest is in the waiting room. So let's go ahead and bring him in. So hot. <laughs> Take off the jacket. I feel, I don't know. And now we have our special guest, Chicago Bulls play-by-play announcer. Adam Amin, the hardest working man in show business. <laughs> Trying to be, man. How you guys doing? All right. How are you going, Adam? Good, how are you? All doing well. Good. good to see Adam, you guys. Adam, it's crazy. Like, um, I was, I've just been watching you because like Melissa was mentioning how you were calling the, the preseason game for the, for the Bears. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, Adam is everywhere, like calling NFL, MLB, NBA, like this morning, like before we, before I got up this morning, I had a dream that you were like doing the weather for my <laughs> local, like weather station. <laughs> like is, Adam is everywhere in my head, and it's not just me. You are everywhere. This is this is not the 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 type of uh, market penetration I was looking for. I was I'm, <laughs> I I swear I'm trying to get in and get out. You know what I mean? I'm trying to do the game, get out, not not bother anybody, and, and stick around. But I guess 
I guess that's cool, man. I'll take it, Justin. Ah, you're you're in the man's dreams now. So <laughs> it's, it's everything I it's everything I've ever wanted. It's everything that's I've ever wanted. Exactly how I meant for that to come up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny, man. Like I, I I don't I I came from a school that had a really good meteorology program. So I uh, at Valpo. So I know how hard those people work. So it's I feel good that I'm even revered in that same sense, even if it's in dreamland. I'm cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> like they said you're everywhere you call football basketball um baseball i think you called a hot dog eating contest before like <laughs> what can't you announce um uh, when i started doing this i i didn't know i'd have a job for longer than a year uh my first contract with espn when i was 24 was for one year and they had a one-year option which meant that they got to decide whether they kept me or not and i had done a bunch of stuff growing up uh in the business i i had done wrestling you know like high school wrestling and basketball volleyball soccer baseball softball just about every you know college sport that that has any type of general run to it um I, i was doing so when i got the espn job and they're like all right one year show us what you can do every time somebody would ask i just said yep i can do that even if i maybe couldn't uh hey can you do water polo yeah i can do water polo of course i can do water polo who doesn't do water polo we all do water polo and that's not really the case so uh, i just kept saying yeah and i think that's how it ended up to the point where i kept doing everything i could and then now it's now i at least got to narrow it down to the sports that I am most comfortable with and the ones that I, I grew up on. These are the three sports that I cover major league baseball, the NBA and the NFL, you know, growing up here, suburban Chicago, like those are the sports that I was most connected to. And I was a, a Blackhawks fan, but that was like the sport that I enjoyed just kind of watching. I wasn't as intent on learning everything about it the way I am with the other three. And those are the three I get to cover now. It's really interesting. You said that. Cause I think um, Tim said the same thing when we interviewed him, he said, he just take any any job. Tim Sinclair, he take any job that came up, whatever it was, just take it all, take anything that would come up. So it's really good you brought that up. It's a really good story. Um, opportunities they just come and go. So why not take them? Uh, what yeah, was I your? You what's like? What's your one of your most favorite things that you've called since you've called so many different things? Like Derek said, a hot dog eating contest. Uh that's that you know honestly the first one i did was is actually up there because it was a it was a world record so like you know that was that was kind of cool at the time to be able to call the world record uh which something i had never done before but most of the the big events i've called that still stick out um i called the iron bowl in 2013 to kick six game between alabama and auburn i was on the national radio call for it it's when chris davis uh returned the missed field goal from alabama 109 yards to win the sec west title and sent him to the SEC championship game. It's one of the great college football games of this century. And, and I got to be a part of that. Um, as I started to do uh, some bigger stuff, I've, I've done a lot of college football games that have, that have been really fun. Uh, you know, the war on I four uh, between UCF and South Florida, I've done, you know, big SEC. I've been to most of the SEC. I've been to most of the ACC. I've done a lot of good PAC 12, big 10, uh, on the basketball side, probably uh, the women's final four a few years ago uh, when I was still at ESPN, I called uh, Arike Ogumbawale, who's she's banged up right now, unfortunately, for Dallas. She had she had surgery to, that ended her season, so she's out of the playoffs. But uh, she hit two buzzer beaters or two game winners uh, in the semifinals against UConn and then in the national championship against Mississippi State to win. And uh, we did those back-to-back nights or back-to-back games, which is 
nuts, you know, like lightning in a bottle struck twice and we got to be there for that. Uh, LeBron James, I covered a lot of his Cleveland days uh, when they were making deep runs in the playoffs. That's when I first started doing the NBA and doing playoff games. And uh, he had a second round game against Toronto in Cleveland where it was a back and forth ball game. And he ends up taking uh, the ball, the length of the court in the final seven seconds and, and getting a shot off to win at the buzzer, which we got to call on ESPN radio. And that'll always stick out. And then now as we, we kind of transition into this new phase, you know, doing playoff baseball, playoff games, doing big NFL games. And then, you know, this last year for the bulls where we got, you know, fun game at, you know, DeMar's 50, the, the DeMar buzzer beater against Indiana. I didn't get to do the one the night after, but I got to do the first one. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of fun moments this year, this year and last uh, that, that have stuck out just by sheer volume. Part of it is by, just by sheer volume. Uh, like you guys said, like the more you do, like you hope that you run in to some fun moments, you know, like you, that's, that's part of the reason I think we chase uh, doing all these games. You know, I've, I've talked about this with a lot of my friends and colleagues that are around my age that, that are a lot like me, that we just do every sport because that's how we were trained to do it. And when you do as many games as you, as we've done and you run into like a cool moment, you kind of chase that and you kind of hope that that's going to be the end of the game and you're ready for it and things like that. Like we just had Braves Astros on Saturday and it was a walk-off in the 11th inning, you know, like you hope that you run into moments and games like that. Can you talk to us about the uh, first buzzer beater that you got to call with DeMar and also maybe like how you felt not being what, what how you felt watching the second one but not being able to call it <laughs> yeah uh, the first one was was nuts and that was that was a weird day too because uh you know the bulls were in the midst of uh, some covid issues so we were testing every day and that was a game where my guy casey johnson had to step in for me for the first quarter plus because i got flagged with a positive test and uh, i had to go retest in the back and make sure that i was you know that I was clean and it was just a false positive and all that so the, a little nerve-wracking at that point that i was going to miss out on not only that game, but I was supposed to do a big NFL game that weekend in Baltimore, which is why I couldn't do the game uh, against the Wizards. So I'm like, in my head, I'm like, damn, I'm not only am I going to miss out on a game that I'm here to do that I prepared to do, but I, I miss out on like the whole weekend and I got to step out for a while. And thankfully it was a false positive. So I got to run back in and do the game. And then, you know, just the way the final 15 seconds kind of played out, with you know the the ball that goes out of bounds that maybe should have been bulls ball the deflection or the the tip to the rim that got deflected and kobe white saved it to DeRozan and that set off the final sequence of events uh you know you're you're kind of white knuckling it like you're kind of just holding on uh at any at any point that it could be you know you could be a veteran of this of 50 years and still feel that same adrenaline and that same energy because you again i've seen this happen i've called moments like this i've called really big moments like this and and that doesn't mean you're always prepared or ready for them, but you try to be. And I just, you know, the, the tension of the moment is what carries a lot of us through it, you know, because we want to get it right. We, we just, you know, the adrenaline makes us laser focused and, and you're just, you're waiting for something to happen and you set it up as best as you can. And when the ball goes in, you hope that you have enough strength to make the call and, and we hit the call and, and then get out of the way. You know, they always teach you that in television and in the biggest moments, is to just get out of the way when the pictures tell a better story than what you can say. And the pictures of that moment, the adrenaline of that moment, especially you know, New Year's Eve, road game, day game, but it was like half Bulls fans in, in Indianapolis, you know, for that game. So 
you know, the, the, it almost felt like a home game and the crowd, what there was a good chunk of the crowd that was just going nuts. So uh, it was an incredible experience. And I flew with the team to Washington and I got picked up to go to Baltimore. And again, I was like sad because I wanted so badly to just do the Bulls game and then do the Ravens Rams game on Sunday. Cause again, I don't like giving up games. I, I, I hate it. It's the thing that I hate about, you know, the one thing that the drawback of doing the NFL and doing baseball playoffs and all that stuff is that it crosses over with the bulls and, and I lose out on a, on a few games. And I appreciate that every, co- you know, the companies that I work for are very understanding and forgiving of that because they want you to do big games and they want you to be on a big stage, but I don't like giving up games. Uh, so I'm sitting there in my hotel room and I have the game up on my iPad and, and I'm watching and I'm like, is this, this isn't going to happen again. You know, like this, there's no way, no shot. And DeMar's in the coffin corner, you know, double teamed essentially. I was like, no, the, there's no way. And it hits and I just, I'm in shock. I rewound it because I wanted to listen to Andy Demetra who, uh, who filled in for me uh, that game and did a wonderful job. I just wanted to hear his call and he nailed it. And I, I was just really like, I was, I was beaming. And then I got a bunch of my phone blew up because I think a lot of my friends either assumed that I was, some people either assumed I was doing the game and they were excited or they knew that I wasn't. And they're like, did you see what just happened? So, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird, bittersweet feeling. I'm glad my, my buddy got to, to call that moment, but obviously I would have loved to have been there in the seat to be able to call that moment. Well, Adam, obviously, you know, the, the companies are willing to work with you because you're just so, so great at what you do. Uh, but that being said, is there a part of you that has to like separate your fandom from like <laughs> being in that experience of actually calling the game? Like I, I've often wondered, like, how do you se- separate those two things? I think uh, it's, and it's definitely different for the bulls versus what I do nationally. It's definitely different because for the bulls, uh, somebody told me last week, and I thought this was a good way to say it. I have controlled fandom when it comes to the bulls, ga- uh, bulls broadcast. Uh, I think we, like, I think it's obvious that Stacy and I want the Bulls to win. Uh, I don't think it could be more obvious, but we still call the game as we see the game being played. And that's first and foremost, because that's part of the job. I think credibility is really important, especially to local fan bases. Uh, and especially in Chicago, like this isn't a stupid fan base. This is one of the biggest markets in the country. And it's one of the biggest brands in the world. Fans of this team aren't idiots. They know the game. They know what's good. They know what's bad. And I also know that, because you're fans, you allow the, the most extreme version of your fandom to come out at the biggest moments. That's what's fun about being a fan. You guys are allowed to do that. I have to control that part of it. Uh, my fandom extends to when a good play is made by one of the Bulls players, I am excited. Not only because it's a fun play, because when the opponent makes a good play, we get excited for those. Those are fun to watch. Like I respect NBA players. I respect this game. I, this is the game I grew up on, and Stacy knows it too. We respect when people can do impressive things. That's why we like sports in general as human beings. It's because these people can do physical feats that like most of us just can't. Like I can't dunk. I can't shoot a 35 foot three pointer at a 35% clip. I can't do these things. So when I see other human beings do them, that's why I marvel. When I see a guy hit a 400 foot home run, I can't do that. So it's cool to me that these people can do that. So we try to respect that the athletic feat that takes place in front of us. And I think the credibility part of this is even more important because we're not going to lie to you and pretend that we didn't see what just happened. I don't like 
I'm not, and I'm not saying this is the right way or the wrong way to do it, but I don't like when other announcers don't get, ex- I'm not saying you got to scream and yell for the opposing team and be like, that's incredible, but you have to give deference and respect to the opposing team because that's an impressive thing that they're doing. And I think we do a good job of that. Uh, I hope, and it's, I think we do. And I hope that it feels that way to people who watch Stacy and I, because we take it seriously. We take this game seriously and we respect it. So uh, I think it's a controlled version of fandom. And then on the national side, I'm still a fan of cool stuff. And that's what, what the fun part is. Like, I don't have to be a, a, a show allegiance to one team or the other. I show allegiance to the coolest, the coolest story that's taking place, the most impressive athletic feat that's taking place, or the most dramatic thing that's taking place. Those are the three things that when I go into a national broadcast, I'm sure to some people it would sound biased. Like if, you know, the Braves are playing the Astros the other night and the Braves hit, you know, four home runs. We're going to talk about how cool that is. Like, I can't, you know, this is a really impressive group doing it against a really good pitching staff. And because we focus on the positive of one team and we're not as critical of a team being, you know, playing poorly, it's might come off as biased. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, over the years, I've, I've come to realize that most fans, if they're watching a game, especially on a national broadcast, you're going to we're going to show bias because the game itself is biased. The score is biased. The play is biased. One team is probably going to do better than another team. And at the end of the night, one team typically wins and one team typically loses. The scoreboard itself is biased. So we have to kind of play along to the game. Whereas when we do a Bulls game, even if they lose, we're still tracking it from a Bulls perspective. And then we show deference and respect to the other team. So over the last 10 or 15 years of doing this job, I think that's kind of how I've formulated formulated it in my head. And I hope that it just plays out like that most nights. Yeah, I've seen uh, on Twitter a few times where Bulls fans are upset that you guys are <laughs> giving props to the other team, and Stacey gets replying like, "Hey, man, game respects game. Game respects game. That's the you have to because otherwise, if I don't tell you that the other team is playing well, like like let's there are announced teams again in any sport, not just basketball, but in any sport that will not acknowledge the other team, and I think that's an insult to your own team, like." That's like cheering overrated for a team that's beating you, you know, like, like you go to college games where the ranked team is getting beat by the unranked team and you're cheering at the, you know, overrated at the ranked team. You go, no, they're not overrated. They're number five for a reason. And you should be happy that you're beating the number five team rather than diminishing their value, thereby diminishing the value of the the impressiveness of what your team is doing. And I, I, I just have never seen it that way. Uh, I, I, and I've worked for teams in the past and again, minor league baseball is a little bit different, obviously, but like I've worked for teams in the past and I always just gave deference to what's happening in front of you. Cause you have to respect it. If you don't, then, then you're, when the, when things are going well, it's not going to be as easy to believe it. So like when my voice goes up on a big play, I think fans know that that's a big play because we, we only raise our voices for the big plays for both teams. So I, I we try to show respect to, to the game first. And I think the, the more you can do that, you're always going to upset some people. That's okay. You know, I, I used to be the type of person who's like, well, if I don't win every fan over that, I'm not doing my job right. I don't think that's correct. I think there's a right way to do this job. There's many right ways to do this job. And I have found a way that makes me feel like I'm doing it the right way. I think with Stacy in concert with him, I think we found a way that makes us feel like we're doing the job the right way. And I think most people uh, will come around to us and, and say, we appreciate that you respect the other team. We respect, you know, you guys respect the game. You guys respect our fan base. Like we've had opposing fan bases say that to us. 
And that means a lot. That really does, especially in the NBA fraternity and sorority. Like that means a lot to us. That's that's like awesome because even like when the Bulls weren't that good and you guys were showing respect to the team, it still made the broadcast good. Like especially when uh, we were playing against Memphis and you guys are doing the Bane voice for Desmond Bane. <laughs> I mean, I I was cracking up. I mean, we were losing, but you guys still made it fun. <laughs> it's again, like it, that was that was enjoyable for us. You know, we we I remember we did a uh, Raptors Bulls game earlier this year. And, like Gary Trent got called for a foul that fouled him out that probably shouldn't have been called. And we all we did was say as much. You know, like yeah, it's a break for the Bulls, and we can say it that way. We can frame it, at, you know, from a Bulls perspective. That's a big break for the Bulls. But we acknowledge that that probably was the wrong call and Gary Trent shouldn't be out of this game for Toronto right now. And I think just that's seeing the game for what it is. That's not sugarcoating anything. That's not hiding anything. And and don't get me wrong. We definitely like, like I'm not, I'm not out to make it personal against anybody. Like we, I would never say anything personally about a player, but the best lesson I got is from my, probably the biggest mentor of my, in my career is Ian Eagle from the, uh, Brooklyn Nets. He's the TV guy for the Brooklyn Nets. He does CBS NFL, CBS NCAA tournament. Uh, he does TNT NBA. Uh, he's like one of the most accomplished broadcasters in, in our industry. And he's one of my mentors. And he told me a story about when I think it was Rick Patino, And I can't, I can't remember for sure now uh, which coach it was, but a coach had heard something from like his wife or like a friend of his that Ian had said on air. And it got kind of garbled in the translation. It was like, you know, like a telephone where you lose some of the key details or, you know, you spin it in a way that makes you feel comfortable. And the coach asked Ian to come into his office. And Ian went into the office and the coach asked him like, hey, I heard this is what you said. Can you explain that? And Ian said, well, this is what I said verbatim. And here's what I meant by it. And his point was that as long as you would feel comfortable saying it to somebody's face, like if you like I, I if I I could go up to Zach Levine and say and if he asked, I would say like, hey, that was a bad play that you made. And all we did was say, hey, that was a bad play. And then we moved on. You know, like we didn't make it. We didn't say Zach's terrible. We didn't say Zach's the worst player or something like that. That's not how we do it. That's not how we approach this. That's not our job. It's not to be personal. It's to be critical of the play on the floor because of a standard that has been set by the players, especially when you win. Like the Bulls are a winning team now. And I think it's actually easier to be critical of a good team because they set a standard. Now you have expectations for them. And when they don't meet those expectations, you have a sense for why, you know, like they didn't play as good of defense tonight as they did against Cleveland. We can say that that's a critical point. You guys didn't play as well defensively as you did two nights ago. I don't think we're saying anything out of pocket. I, we're just observing it. And we're not saying that they don't deserve to play anymore. No, it's, no, there was a game against Charlotte late in the year where they were flat. They were dead flat. And we said as much. This is the worst performance of the season for a really, really good team. And I think because we've built that credibility or tried to build that credibility, that trust with anybody who watches over the course of a long season, because expectations are where they are, the standard is set where it is, we call it out when it's not at that same level. And I would feel comfortable saying that to a player because it's true. And again, I don't, I'm, we don't make it personally. It's only about the game. It's about the game and the play on the floor. And then when they do well, we certainly want to highlight it. We want, we want people to like the guys that play for the Bulls. We want them to cheer for these guys. We tell stories about them. 
Uh, we, we talk about meeting their families. We talk about what's going on uh, in their personal lives to an extent, you know, without being too prying. Um, I, I mentioned Zach on the, the baseball broadcast on Saturday. You know, I'm doing a Houston Atlanta game, but we were talking about how athletes who have kids, you know, Alex Bregman uh, of the Astros just had his first kid in, on August the 1st, and he's been red hot since. You know, he's been hitting like 400 since, which is pretty cool. It's a cool story. But we talked about the mentality and the perspective of how athletes shift their mindset once they have a kid. That's That changes how they approach the game because they leave like the bad stuff at the office, you know, at their work. And then they come home and they're focused on their kid, their partner. And, and I mentioned Zach, like Zach's wife is pregnant right now. And he's already talked about that people magazine article where he's like, I'm more worried about her and the kid when I get home. And I'm sure that story will come up once or twice during the regular season or during the season at some point, you know, when preseason starts, we'll mention, Hey, Zach, Zach had his first kid in the off season. Like here's how, what, how he approached it, how he talked about it. So we want people to connect with players on the bulls, but that comes secondary to the game. The game is always first. Speaking of uh, connecting to players on the Bulls, um, our rookie, Dalen Terry, he seems to <laughs> be pretty outspoken and yeah. <laughs> getting well-connected with the fan base. Whether it's tweeting right out of the gate, like, what's good and, you know, what's good Chicago and all this stuff, it, it's the type of personality and the type of exuberance that I think, not just people in Chicago, I think any fan base of a team would respond to. You know, you want to know that the people that are part of the organization that you seemingly care about are are fun they're they're personable they're affable and obviously they want you to play well you know like all the, all the affability only takes you so far and i think this is the type of player that can fit in you know to a to a 12 man roster to a nine man rotation at some point this season you know i think he can be a contributor um what he did at at arizona in the pac 12 as a playmaker especially in transition in the open floor uh, the athleticism he had, everything he did defensively, those are things that translate. Those things will translate, I think, to the NBA level. And I thought he did. So, he had some really nice moments during summer league. And again, he's not going to be asked to do maybe what Patrick Williams was asked to do two years ago when he was a rookie. Like Patrick Williams was out there being asked to score 10, 12 points a night and being asked to guard the be- you know some of the best players on the other team. I don't think Dalen Terry is necessarily going to be asked to do that consistently the way Patrick Williams was. So hit the pressure on him is a little bit lower. You know, Patrick came into a bad, not bad situation, but like the team wasn't particularly good. Uh, They were struggling when he got drafted and they improved that season. But Dale and Terry is coming into a really nice situation or a much better situation now where the team's coming off a playoff run. They have continuity. So his job is to fit in. It's not to change the game. It's to fit into the game. And I think that's, that that's helpful for a rookie. And I feel like, his personality along with his play, if he plays the way we expect him to play, uh, I think fans will will gravitate and appreciate him right out of the way, uh, right out of the game. Yeah, he had um, Adam, a guy just. Okay. I was going to say, Adam, you mentioned how the standards on this team have definitely changed um, with the, uh, the different expectations because there's a lot of new talent that's on this team. Um, and you also mentioned how this, the Bulls fan base, well, the Chicago fan base in general, how they're knowledgeable. And I feel like um, we can all agree that many fans um, really gravitated to around the sense that the Bulls were adding a good amount of talent to fit around Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of good vibes. But why, why do you think that the national media 
uh, took a little bit of time to kind of accept that this Bulls team was was progressing in the manner that it has. Um, I, I I didn't understand why this the, you know the DeRozan signing last year in particular, you know, and I, I know it's become a meme for for us in Chicago now. You know, we're signing in the off season and everything, but like I, I didn't understand why that was the case. Maybe it was the money, you know. May, you know, I I you can make an argument for or against a player based on salary and contract across the league. You know, that that's a debate that you can have for any player. So I, I kind of try to disregard those conversations uh, if, if at all applicable, like if, if they're not applicable, I don't really deal with it, you know? So I, I was looking straight up at the fit and I thought, why wouldn't it work? You know, between what Vucevic does and I know Vucevic had a down year shooting and that was a, a big, you know, uh, that was his big storyline and that'll be his, his job to get back to what he usually does and shoot at a high level from three this season. But with Vucevic, what he did as an inside out big and with Levine being as good of a slasher and three point shot creator as he was, I figured what's, where's the hole in the mid, in the mid range. And DeMar DeRozan has been one of the best mid range players in the NBA for a decade. So I, I, I just didn't understand why people didn't think that was a good fit. And then they added good players. They added ball, they added Caruso. These are good, just good players. You're going to get better as a team. So I didn't understand why there was a, a criticism to the fit, but I can also understand where the franchise had been. We don't make the playoffs for half a decade. Like you're not going to, you're going to have to do some things to draw some eyeballs. And that's what the bulls did for a couple months. You know, they were, they were in that number one spot. They were in that conversation. DeMar DeRozan was in the MVP conversation. And so I do think, it, people had to come around to the idea of this Bulls team. And I think because of the struggles after the all-star break, and again, a lot of this just, it has to do with injuries. I think the struggles after the all-star break and, and you know, only taking Milwaukee to five in a playoff series probably cooled the, the, the jets of a lot of people around the national media when they were looking at the Bulls this season, you kind of tell with, maybe how many national TV games they have compared to the Nets or the Knicks who both finished behind the Bulls. You know, the Knicks weren't even a playoff team last year. So, like, it's a little bit jarring at times. I imagine the Nets and the Knicks are getting a lot of airtime because they're in New York and they're fun stories. They're weird stories. They're they're uh, roller coasters to track those teams, whether it's Tibbs and the relationship to his players in New York or it's Durant and Irving and the drama with Steve Nash and Josiah and, and the Sean Marks and the ownership group and the, and the front office. Those are stories that to a casual fan who knows who Kevin Durant is, but may not know who Nikola Vucevic is, or may not be as familiar with DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine. I, I feel like that's part of the, re there's a lot of elements to it that kind of combine to lead to, I don't know if disregard is the right word, but it kind of feels like the right word of the Bulls going into the season nationally, which at the end of the day, you might get national attention, you may play poorly at the beginning of the season, so then nobody cares about you. Or, or you're a sleeper, and I've always liked being the sleeper. I like being under the radar and then kind of proving to people. This is just me personally, not as a team. Like I, I'm, I like being under the radar and then proving to people that you know your value is a lot higher than maybe originally assumed. And I think that's maybe where the Bulls can go this year. That being said, the Eastern Conference is a lot better. There are a lot more storylines in the East this year than there were two years ago. So I think there's an, there's an element to all of these things that has played a role in, in how the Bulls are perceived going into this season nationally. Man, you brought up the Knicks. Were you at all surprised that they got a Christmas game over the Bulls? Well, if, if we 
look at it in the framework of how we just discussed it, where it's the Knicks and it's a easy national story and it's a major, it's the biggest market rather than the third biggest market. No, not really. I'm not surprised by it. Um, I just, I, I always felt like getting a Christmas game and I've called Christmas day games for ESPN when I worked there. And, and it's always, a there's always something special about it because it kind of signifies the true beginning of the NBA season for a larger swath of fans. Um, you know, it, it was like the unofficial second start to the season. You know, that's how I always felt when I was watching Christmas day games on like NBC and stuff growing up, but it does, there is, there is some prestige to it. So yeah, it's kind of disappointing that being a major market team and being the brand that they are and being a decent team at worst last year, they were decent at worst. And that wasn't enough to garner a national TV game. Yeah. It's a little frustrating. It's a little disappointing, but you know, also I, I, I think at the end of the year, if you're fighting for, you know, a good seed, you don't really worry. You won't really worry about whether or not they got a Christmas day game. You'll, the storyline will be, well, they were overlooked and undervalued and now look where they are. So that's kind of the hope in terms of how it's going to play out this season. That's how you hope it goes out. And we want to um, bring up some questions that people on Twitter wanted to ask you. Uh, Dale is asking, do you think Ayo Dusumu will make a huge leap in his second year of his career? Uh, I think he has the ability to make a pretty big leap because there is something to be said about you know, the, the dog mentality, you know, he's got that, that dog in him is a, is the funny line. I'm sure we'll bust out once in a while, but like, he is that guy. He's that type of chip on the shoulder player. You know, he, we, we've, we told a story a couple times during the year where I always a notes, you know, has notes on his phone, on his iPhone, like all of us do. And he has a, a page in his notes of like a diary basically. And he remembers the 37 guys that got picked in front of him and the tattoo that he was going to get this year was going to be the number 38 to remind him like, you know, Hey, he got overlooked by a lot of teams, a lot of teams. And I think there's something to that. There's something to having that type of mentality. And the reason I think that's important is because year one to year two, you have a much better idea about how your body's going to feel day to day, how the grind of the NBA season plays out. Now IO didn't really, he hit a little bit of a wall, but he didn't play significant minutes the whole season, right? Early in the year, he wasn't really playing the type of significant minutes, although he had huge games early in the season. The Boston game, he had big shots. You know, he had big shots against Orlando in January. Like, he still contributed in a major way. But, you know, if the team is healthy, he won't have to be that type of player on a consistent basis. What I think is important is that he's got the mentality – to play the role, whatever the role may be to the best of his ability. And I think he puts the work in. So I think he's got a real shot to make a leap. And most rookies that don't make that leap, I think maybe don't have that mentality that IO already has locked in. And I think that's a big reason why I think, again, there's no proof out there for this. A lot of this is anecdotal. You just, you've seen examples of it in the past and you see examples of it with him. So you hope that that translates, but I think it can translate to having a, an even better year. Even if the numbers aren't as good, I think what's more important is how he contributes and, and how tough of a, of a defender and backup guard he's going to be. I think that's more important in terms of evaluating his second year rather than the numbers themselves. Completely agree with you on that one. Um, you, know, you already had a really great offense. 
season. It was it Casey that was talking about it, I think. He had just like a monster off season. So I see that coming too. Yeah. Probably be all defensive this year. I hope so. That And that's where he, his best moments. And listen, he made some big shots. He had, you know, the big game against OKC at the buzzer beater at half court. That's all fun. But I remember clamping down Trey Young. Like the yeah. Trey Young sequence is the one that signifies him at his best last year, where the thing that he can contribute in, even if he's not asked to be an offensive juggernaut, you know, and again, you're not asking him to do that. You're not asking him for 15 points a night. You're asking him to be a great ball handler, to be a solid slasher, to make some mid-range shots. And then most importantly, when you get an opposing guard that has good handles and Alex Caruso needs a breather or Alonzo Ball needs a breather, you're going to be the next guy off the bench trying to play some tough defense. And I think if he continues to do those types of things the way he did against Trey Young and against you know Jason Tatum, he had some good games. You know Darius Garland, he did a really nice job against. That's going to be the key for him next season. And we're going to go to another question. Easy ass. What is your best inside Stacey King story? Oh, man. I'm trying to think what can I, what I can tell, you know, like, well, what, what I can, you know, because some, 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 some things have to stay in the vault. You know, that's my, that's my man right there. I, I actually am sad. I, he, <laughs> I had to go to Atlanta. I, I know I mentioned that a couple of times, but I had to go to Atlanta on Friday for a baseball game. And on like Thursday, he texted me and Mark Brady, our producer. He's like, you guys want to go to the Kendrick Lamar show? <laughs> like, oh God, I can't, I can't believe I have to, I have to, I can't go to Kendrick Lamar with Stacy. Um, he's told this story a couple of times. And, and again, this is more of like an emotional story for me. Uh, so this may not be the juicy stuff that, uh, that I know uh, you guys would like to hear. But, but also, Stacy's not like a juicy detail type of guy, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he is – he's he's so mild-mannered, in all honesty. Like, what you guys see on TV is an extension of his personality. That is who he is. His humor, his exuberance, his, his – the level of, of happiness that he just seems to operate with. He's just a good guy. He's got a good heart. But – He's a soft-hearted guy, and I and he told the story about the first time we worked together. Uh, I filled in for Neil. This was four years ago, November, and I was doing a Dallas Mavericks game against the Bulls in Dallas, and I joined the team uh, from – I was doing an Ole Miss college football game the day before, so I flew in, uh, drove to Memphis, and then flew into Dallas. And I showed up uh, for my first game, and I'm nervous as all hell. Like, I'm so nervous. This is the – you know, I, I've done big games at this point. I had just done the Final Four. Uh, I've done NBA playoffs, all this stuff, and I've never been more nervous for anything because this is the guy I grew up with. And I grew up with Stacy, not only as a player but as a broadcaster too. And I just remember the hug, you know, the, the first hug I got from him. You know, he was so warm and welcoming. And all I wanted to do was do a good job. I just wanted to prove that I belonged, you know, that, that I was an NBA broadcaster. Like I said, I've been doing the NBA for a full year, uh, two years at this point. I've done two seasons. Now I've done playoff games. I've done the conference finals. Like, it's not like I don't know this league. I just wanted to prove that I, I could do it with somebody like him. And, you know, he said before that, you know, he had the audition, you know, like, 10 announcers, 15 or something like that, 10, 12 different play-by-play announcers that year. Uh, and all of them, you know, were good in their own right. And a lot of them are, are my friends and my colleagues and, and people I'm still close to and, and people that have gone on to great work, you know, like John Sadax, the voice of the Cincinnati Reds. Andy Demetra works at Georgia Tech. Uh, Kyle Draper is one of the 
guys for the Sacramento Kings behind Mark Jones. Lisa Byington obviously is the voice of the Bucks, you know, Lane. She does the NCAA tournament. So these are like legit high level people that I have a lot of respect and appreciation for. And Stacy from day one was like, him, that's the guy. And I, I had to hold back tears when he said that. I, I, that was something that made me very emotional. I'm a big family person. Uh, right here, it's a photo of my mom and my late dad. And it's just very, like, I've always been a familial person. I've got three older brothers that I care a lot about. And I've got two, two nephews and a niece. And, and I'm very close with them. And stuff like that means a lot to me. And that hit me in a very meaningful way. And that's always stuck out to me, especially, like, when we're in it together. You know, like, when we're in, in a tight game together, I always give him deference. I always try to get out of the way if I can. You know, and we're, we, we're both excitable. We're both exuberant people on the air. So naturally, like our yelling may go over one another once in a while. That's okay. I just, I want to make sure that he knows I appreciate how, how hard he works. Cause that's the other thing too. I think a lot of people look at him and hear him on a national level and just hear the highlights and it's fun. And they're like, oh, I love, I love this phrase. Or maybe they're like, oh, well, all he does is the, the phrase is he doesn't watch a game man. watch a game where he, he is really in it. We have a tight game. Go back to some of the playoff games we called where the stakes are the highest. Like he is on it. He predicts stuff. And he is his analysis is as good as any NBA analyst on a local broadcast as we have. And and I don't take that for granted. I, I, I know we get a lot of appreciation and, and affection from obviously Bulls Nation, which we love. But opposing fan bases, like I said, have, have appreciate us or they respect us at the very least. They don't hate us at the very least. And a lot of that has to do with with him. You know, he's not just some catchphrase machine, which I always have a good time when he when he's you know, when he's on one like that, but his analysis is as sharp as anybody's in the league. Definitely. Stacy, of course, is a good friend of the show. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, you guys had a good time with him, him and Chuck in, in the last couple of weeks. That's awesome. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Melissa's dog is not safe. <laughs> <Around>. <laughs> Kobe. Don't let Kobe and Brixton. Don't let Kobe and Brixton no. get uh, get after him. All right, no. you watch not out going, over there. Not going anywhere near my dog. <laughs> um, I will say though, I went to a game and um, I got to I got to meet you, Adam and Stacy, and I, I just uh, just an observation. Like you guys are really great with your fans too. Like everybody was just waiting to talk to you, and you guys both took the time to meet with everybody as much as you could with you know security. So just wanted to shout that out too. It's really uh, I appreciate just, that. You know, the fans just really gravitate to you too. And I think uh, it's funny because people like speaking from my point of view, like when I go to a game, it's like, man, I can't hear Stacy and Adam. Like, <laughs> so it's much appreciated. No, thank you for saying that. I really do. That really does mean a lot to both of us. I know. Yeah, that's like the only downfall of being at an actual game <laughs> is not hearing you too. <laughs> right. Uh, v wants to know what are your thoughts on Tyler Cook and is there a reason why he hasn't been considered for a permanent roster spot? Yeah, I think uh, you know, he he contributed in major ways last year, especially you know for for a lot of teams they had COVID outbreaks you know during the winter time, and you know Tyler stepped up in big ways. His athleticism is really important to this team. I'm not sure, and again, I'm not I'm not in the front office. I don't know what the evaluation process is. All I can go off is what I see in a game and the athleticism with which he plays is huge. Uh, I think part of the reason you go out and sign a guy like Andre Drummond, not only is he a veteran presence, which I think is necessary on a team 
uh, that has a lot of youthful pieces. And I know DeMar is, has really – his presence really shifted the mentality of this team last year, like just to, how to be a professional. You know, like like you, you, you use the term pros pro, you know, a professional's professional. That's DeMar. And I think Andre Drummond kind of fits into that mold as well. But the lack of, of physicality, I think, at times on the defensive end is maybe where Tyler just lacked. And I don't know, again, that may be an unfair assessment of his. Um, because offensively, I, I love his athleticism, his talent, uh, his nose for the ball, the way he he is aggressive. He's, he can be violent at the rim. And that's where I think he was at his best. But I think you need that physicality at both ends of the floor. And I think maybe that's why you go out and, and sign an Andre Drummond type. Um, that's why you're probably looking at the Bulls are probably looking at Mitchell Robinson, you know, from the Knicks to try to see if they can bring him over uh, on, a, on a contract or, or in a trade scenario. That's why you're in the conversation at the very least, maybe not deep into it, but in the conversation for Rudy Gobert, the physicality on the defensive end, because Russo and ball, when they got hurt, you know, this is a point of attack league, right? The point of attack, right where the point guard begins and initiates actions of an offense. What Caruso and ball did so well was to disrupt those initial actions defensively. And when you disrupt actions, especially the first one, but maybe even more importantly, the second one, when you can get into the second action and disrupt that, now you're looking at six seconds on the shot clock and forcing teams into ISO possessions and, and tough shots and tough jump shots. And when those guys were out, that put a lot of weight on not only Vucevic to play help side, but all the wing guys to play help side as well. And Vucevic isn't as physical of a defender. You know, like he, he can, he can get, he can bang down low. And I think he was frankly at his best when he was banging down low offensively, but defensively, it's a different story. And I think the lack of physicality for this team at the big uh, spot last year on defense was something that hurt him at times in certain matchups. You know, I know this is a small ball league right now, but there are a lot of talented big men in this league. Like when you play Philadelphia on October 29th, like Andre Drummond is going to have to play some minutes against Joel Embiid. And I don't doubt that Embiid's going to try to play out on the perimeter when Drummond is on him or Drummond is in the game. So maybe you'll have to make some adjustments, but you have to be physical with guys like that. And I think that's maybe, maybe, maybe where Tyler Cook was just lacking a little bit. And that's why you went out and got, got a player like an Andre Drummond. Yeah. I did. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I'm sure, did you, did you probably see what he said? Um, he made a comment, I'm on my way by the time I retire, I'll go down as the best rebounder ever, if not already. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, listen, this guy has about as many 20 rebound games as anybody in NBA history. Like we compare him to Dennis Rodman in that sense. And there's no reason, like if, if, if Andre Drummond had said, I'm gonna be the greatest center of all time by the time it's over, then you maybe kind of balk at that, right? Because uh, he maybe doesn't have the offense or the blocks or whatever it is. But in terms of rebounding, another, like we talked about with physicality for this team, like they got beat up on the glass. And their worst stretches of the year last year, the Bulls got crushed on the glass. They got killed on rebounding. And one thing that Andre Drummond has done as well as any player in NBA history is just bang and just get boards. And it's with that physicality that we talked about. You know, you, know, you there, there's not many guys, you know, we're talking about like the David Robinsons and the Rodmans of the world that, put up numbers rebounding like Drummond has. So I don't think, I think that specifically that part of his game is one of the best in the league right now. And again, he's going to have to put the work in and make sure he's physically ready. Uh, you know, as, as he gets on in, in, in his career now at this point, what is he at this point? He's 29 only, but he's had a lot of wear and tear, you know, he's been going at this for a long time. And that's a reason why you want him. He has seen a lot. He's done a lot. 
But that physicality has separated him in a lot of ways from a lot of other players. You don't stick around in this league uh, with a – I'm not saying his offensive game has lacked in his career. It's been pretty good. But that's not what he's asked to do anymore. He's asked to do what he talked about. And I think there is some credence to that. You know, though those 20 rebound games are not easy to come by. They are, they are difficult to come by, and he still keeps racking them up. He definitely does add a, a dimension to this team that the Bulls have been lacking uh, for a while. And um, I think what also gets overlooked is his steal rate. He, he steals the ball exceptionally well for a center, uh, too. But when you have him um, going towards that bench role and you're adding in Goran as well, that makes for a, a pretty strong bench. How does this Bulls bench uh, match up with uh, other top teams in the league? Well, anytime you add pieces, you're adding depth right now. You know, the, the, you, you said it earlier, Justin, I think last year, or I, I, yeah, the, the previous year, I guess, sorry. So two years ago, two seasons ago, when you made the trade to bring in guys around Levine, you were trying to improve the core of this team, right? Through the draft with Patrick Williams, through the draft with Io Dosumu, uh, through free agency with Ball and Caruso, and with the pieces that you brought in, you know, Vucevic, and then you have a really, really good core. And when this team was healthy last year, that core was great. We all felt, you know, just watching the first, you know, 40 games or so, maybe 40 or 50 games before the All-Star break, that this was a core that was good enough. I'm not saying they were going to win a second-round series, but they were good enough to be competitive in a second-round series, even if they were the lower seed. You thought maybe, all right, at the very least, they could give Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, Miami, they could give one of those teams a run for their money. Maybe they don't win a second-round series, but they play well enough to be in it. And the way you get over the hump of that is by getting better on the margins. So you've, you've, you've essentially established your core. You're going to have ball for a few more years. You got DeRozan for a couple more seasons. You got Levine long-term. You got Williams for a couple more years on a rookie deal. Uh, Io's probably, you know, Io's in right now. Uh, so you've got a pretty strong core. You needed to get better on the margins. Kobe White is always going to be a piece that, that's going to be highly discussed because he's right now a, a, an in-betweener. You know, is he a starter? Is he a bench guy? You know, and he and to his credit, he has stepped into whatever role they've needed from him and done it to the best of his ability. And I think there have been more good than good nights than bad nights for Kobe White. Um, overall, more good than more than, than bad. But if you say Kobe, you are a microwave now off the bench. Io, you're going to run the second unit along with Caru maybe Caruso. Caruso, you're going to run some point guard. Io, you're going to come in and run some point guard. You've got depth with Terry now out of the draft in, in some wing depth. And Goran Dragic is a very good insurance policy at worst. 36 years old. He's not, he does not going to have the legs underneath him, but he is a great insurance policy to have. If Lonzo's knee is, is bothering him, if Caruso gets hurt because of the way he plays, his, his reckless style of playing defense and, and hustling, if, if that forces him out of a game for, for a night or, or a couple nights, Goran Dragic is a pretty good insurance policy to have at the point guard position. And I think this team got better where it needed to. I know it wasn't sexy in the offseason. I know it wasn't splashy. Drummond and Dragic and go get, you know, a kid out of Arizona that not everybody had heard of. I know that's not splashy, but it is making you better around the margins. And you see where this takes you after January as you start to key in on, on the trade deadline, where is this team at this point? Are they in a top four position in the East? Are they in the bottom four 
of the playoff picture. All right, well, maybe they need to make a move. Maybe they deal a Kobe White. Maybe they can, they swing Bucevic with an expiring contract to bring somebody else in from a team that, you know, isn't as good but has a key piece at center. Like, I think that's how you approach this season. But most importantly, this team's core is already very established, and I think they got better around the margins. Like I said earlier, though, the rest of the East also got better around the margins. I think Philadelphia got better around the margins getting a guy like P.J. Tucker. I think Miami's going to have to reload, but they always seem to reload. Milwaukee re-signed a lot of their guys, and they're going to be their, – their core is very well established right now coming off a championship two seasons ago. So, you know, it's not going to be any easier by, by any stretch in the Eastern Conference this year, but you got better in the positions that you needed to. And I think a player like Dragic, if he's not going to play huge minutes, that's okay. He's there for a very specific reason, and that's if – you start to deal with the injury issues that popped up a season ago. I hear a lot too, that he's really great in the locker room too. So um, there's the impact there. I mean, we, yeah. that. we got like Dalen. Dalen's a really great leader too, but you have Dragic that's really good in the locker room and he's a vet. So it's, as you said, impact off and on the court. I think that's key. That the better veteran presence always helps. You know, we talked about it with Drummond, the Rosen shifted the way this team operates like that. That can't be overlooked. Locker room chemistry cannot be overlooked when you see guys like that. Even, even in the short time that Tristan Thompson was with the team, and I know he, he didn't live up to the expectations that I'm sure we had for him, but at the same time, he did bring something that was necessary for this team. And the two or three moments where he's screaming at the bench and guys are like, okay, that's fair. Like, yeah. And when you say it, you've got an NBA title and most of us don't. Yeah, it, it means something for you to say that. So – I don't think you can overlook uh, any type of veteran uh, impact that a lot of these guys who've been around can make. Taking one more question from Twitter. Ray uh, UK is asking the greatest Bulls moments you had the pleasure of calling so far. And also, if you want to take your podcast appearance international. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always willing to talk to my friends overseas. Uh, that's, that's always, that's always a, possibility that's no problem but um i mean obviously i mentioned the buzzer beater the the three games the three moments that i think stick out to me the most and and it's just very fresh at the top of my head and there were a lot of them you know that's what that's what was so fun about this season was that they gave us a lot of great moments you know they gave us great shots they gave us great defensive sequences um you know, DeMar against Atlanta, you know, at the United Center, the 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 and one to to take the lead late in the game. And those sequences were, were so much fun. But the three that stick out to me are the buzzer beater against Indiana, the 50 point special from DeRozan at the end of March and game two of the playoff series. You know, the, the, the way they battled in that game and the way they showed Milwaukee that they were there punch for punch, it actually made it. Like I said, it's easier to be critical of a good team. It actually made us more disappointed about the result in game one, you know, because they had worked so hard to get in it. They were right there. They really could have taken a 2 nothing lead in that series, stealing two games on the road. And, and who knows, you know, maybe they, I'm not saying they win that series, but maybe that goes to six or seven instead of ending in five. And I, I just felt like the way they reacted to the disappointment of game one. And for a lot of those guys, that was their playoff debuts. You know, for Zach Levine, that was the first time he really felt the physicality and the, and the competitiveness and how the refs call games at that stage. And they bounced back so impressively in game two uh, that, that, you know, the, the end sequence, the offensive rebound, the DeRozan drive and layup, uh, everybody contributed uh, that was healthy in that game. They all contributed. So those are the three moments that 
that probably stick out the most, the, the buzzer beater, the 50 piece and, uh, and game three, uh, game two of that series. Yeah, speaking of the buzzer beater, not only will him hitting that shot like live on in Bulls history, but also your call of DeMar DeRozan delivers <laughs> is, is infamous now. I, I, I hope that, you know, when you're an announcer, you just hope that you, you give, you, you, it's the right way to say it. You do the moment justice. You know, that's all you're trying to do. Like, I don't have a signature catchphrase. I don't have like, you know, like Neil had kaboom, you know, Jim Durham had, you know, rimming good. You know, he had a bunch of you know, stuck on automatic and, and those are, those are classics. But for me, I don't have something like that and I don't look for it. Maybe it'll come, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll happen organically. If, and that's how it should happen. It shouldn't be something that that's contrived. It should be something that happens organically. I don't have a catchphrase. What I hope I have is the right tone and tenor for those moments that's what i've taken a lot of pride in over the years and I, again by sheer volume of, of doing this at a at this level you know being on national tv for you know 11 years now at this point and and doing this for a long time by sheer volume i've had a lot of opportunity to call big moments big games all that stuff and the hope is that the next time you get one that you match the tone and the tenor of the moment and of the game itself. That's all we're trying to do. And I hope that that, I hope I matched the moment with what we said. And more importantly, I hope that the moment stuck with people. If it's because of a call, great. If it's because of the play itself, great. If it's because of all those things, even better. And that's just the hope that I think most of us who do this job, especially when we've had opportunities to do, cool things and, and call cool moments. I hope that's, that's how it comes off. It, it does. <laughs> Hoping there's a lot of cool moments for the bulls this season for you to call to. Same. Hoping man. Yeah. It definitely all ties together. Like the, it is the moment, but at the same time hearing like the two of you call it is just, you hear that in your head. Like if you're watching, if you're watching it on another broadcast here, you still hear you and Stacy's call on it. So it definitely has a lot to uh, do with how you remember that's, those That's why sure. I, I wouldn't take, I, didn't, I wasn't going to take a local job unless it was like this, you know, like I, I've had offers in the past. Uh, I won't mention the teams, uh, you know, cause those aren't my jobs, but I've had offers from teams in baseball, the NBA, uh, NFL radio jobs. I, I've been offered jobs in the past or, or been asked to come in and interview and, and talk. And, and it just never interested me. And the only type of job that was going to open my eyes locally was going to be here. Uh, I, I wasn't going to move. I wasn't going to move to a different city. I wasn't going to, this is my home. This is where I'm from. So uh, hearing that Melissa is, is, is important because this is, this is one of the few places I, or a few jobs I would have even considered taking locally to go along with whatever I was doing nationally. And, and that means that, you know, we're, or at least for now, we've, we've tried to do as best, you know, as good of a job as we can. And, and the goal is to keep that going for as long as we can. We appreciate it, Adam. Uh, before Thanks, we guys. Get out, uh, just want to ask you something, because this is new for us. We're trying to grow organically. Um, and you've talked about all of these experiences that you've had. And we realize in this business that it can be a grind. Um, but at some point, I'm sure you said to yourself, 
that you, you felt safe. So when did you realize that you had finally made it for yourself? And you can't say like 50 minutes ago when you joined us. It's a nice benchmark though, right? It's a nice benchmark to, to, to consider. It's, it's when you, when you, when you enter Justin's dreams, remember? That's right. That's right. That was the peak. That was peak meteorology. That's a full circle yeah. moment. Well done, Melissa. Solid. Um, you never really know when to pinpoint it. Um, Cause it's an, it's an evolutionary process. Like I sound different at 35, I'm 35 now. I sound different now compared to what I sounded like at 30 compared to what I sounded like at 32. Like that, I hope that's the case. I hope I listen back to broadcasts if they ever pop up from like three, four years ago. And I go, nah, it's not as good. Like that's not as good as what I do now. Like, cause, cause that means you're taking steps to keep growing in this. But in terms of the emotional, like comfort, that took a while. That took a long time. And I can't pinpoint it for you, but it, it only happened in the last couple of years. And it only happened since I took this job, not right when I took it, but in, in the last two years, since I took over this job full time, only then did I feel some level of comfort. And I'm still, the other part of this too, is I had nine years at ESPN and for certain sports, I think fan bases of certain sports, whether it's college football, women's basketball, uh, college softball, uh, which is a sport that I did a lot of. I did the Women's College World Series for five years. It was one of my favorite events to do. Uh, I think in those sports, there was some comfort. You know, like fans would tune into one of those games and be like, oh, okay, I remember this guy from that game or this guy from – he's done this before, so I'm, I'm comfortable with him. And when I left to go to Fox and to do the Bulls job, like I – there's not that same familiarity anymore. It's a new fan base. It's a completely new – sport that I'm trying to win people over and I'm trying to win over NFL fans now after doing this for, you know, so I'm going into my third season of doing the NFL. I'm going into my, I'm in my third playoff series come this October for major league baseball on TV. And only now is that comfort starting to settle in, you know, now that I've gotten the opportunity to do two full years of this. So it's only happened recently. And my hope is that there's always some level of discomfort because that means I have something to strive for. That, that means I have something to improve on always. I never want to feel like, all right, I can coast. I, I don't want to feel that way because that means I'm going to get complacent and I don't like myself when I'm complacent. I don't like myself when I just, I'm cool about everything. I want to, I want to be the person that puts in the same effort now that he did 10 years ago and the same effort now that I put in 10 years from now and 20 years from now, I, I want to be that guy. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I want to be that type of person. So I don't, I don't ever feel fully comfortable, but emotionally connective to what I'm doing. It's only happened in the last couple of years and probably really only in the last year. We got a ways to go. Long, uh, hopefully, <laughs> ho hopefully, hopefully we, we got a long way to go, man. That's that, that, that's, that means that means you're growing that means you're growing and taking steps and a lot of this is cumulative you know you, you what you do now is gonna affect you five years from now you know how you do this job now you'll take lessons from this to the next one to the next one to the next one i mentioned ian earlier uh you know what my mentor and he said you're only as good as your last one. you know i'm only as good or bad as what i did saturday i've got bears browns on on saturday this week in the last preseason game i'm only as good as what i do this week you know, and, and I'm glad that the, the moments stick, you know, from, from the past, I'm glad that, that, that whether it's Bulls games, Fox games, whatever, 
that they stick in some capacity. But in my head, you have to be ready for the next one and only for the next one and then focus on the next one. And then when that's done, you flush it and you move past it and work on the next one. And that's, I think that's, that's a good way for longevity. You know, that's a good way to keep this going for a long period of time is if you keep that same kind of hunger and mentality for it. Stay hungry, guys. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for the conversation, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming, Adam. Thanks, Adam. You got to stay hungry, guys. Got to stay in the gym. Keep doing these reps. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you guys. All right. All right. Put the air conditioning on, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa's in this hot room the whole show and decides to keep the jacket on. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's like a a shirt, but I mean, it is still really hot here. (laughs) I'm dying. Melissa's trying to flex and and let everybody know how tough she is. That's all that is. <laughs> Want to know some funny? Uh, I didn't get to say this while Adam was on, but about Andre Drummond. Hmm. There's an all-time NBA rebound percentage. Dennis Robbins number two. Drummond's number one. Are you serious? Yeah. No. So I guess that wasn't just talk that he was saying. <laughs> oh, how do they how do they grade that? What are the metrics like? Is it by is it percentage volume? Is a percentage all time percentage. Uh, Drummond's twenty four point sixty six. Robin's twenty three point forty four. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Drummond saw that post and put it on his stories. Numbers don't lie. We had to get him on the show to discuss it. <laughs> I don't know. That kind of. Uh, I don't know. It kind of hurts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I may be biased, but it's okay. He's a bull now. Yeah, he's a bull. <laughs> I'm still going to say Rodman, but I know, <laughs> he has right? a case based off. Why'd you have to come with the facts, dear? Based off that he has a case. That's all I'm saying. We didn't need the facts. Still going we with We need the facts. All heart. All heart. <laughs> all, all heart and fandom. <laughs> Still go with Robin. <laughs> yeah, same. And Justin, you, you're all right, man. You, I know you said you were under the weather. It's like Justin's being a little quiet today. I was, uh, you know, like one of the teachers um, at, our, at our school, like, uh, came down with COVID. And another friend of mine, she had COVID. Uh, so... I'm just, uh, I'm anxiously uh, awaiting taking a test when I uh, finish up here to see, just to make sure everything is, is okay. So. No. so you were on this podcast with us the whole time you didn't have a mask on? I don't know what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> Oh, we're, we're hoping that Justin does not have to enter health and safety protocols. <laughs> Yeah, real. We need you here now that you have like a clear webcam, and you're not recording from a calculator. It's been like this since I did not change anything different. It's the same setup. <laughs> I think it's 
you all are better different. It's like we'll have to hear it from the audience because to me, it looks like you've been recording from a TI 83 <laughs> first episode, but hey, you might have lost some of our viewers who don't know what a, <laughs> a calculator. Okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a calculator, a model of a calculator for the OGs. A huge blue calculator that <laughs> people use. <laughs> like, do people even know what a calculator is <laughs> other than it being on the phone? You can just ask Siri anything. So you don't even have to push buttons anymore, really. Yeah, what do you just... think about this? Uh, what do you think about our schedule, though? We have like 15, 15 back to back games. Are we still still recording? Yeah, <laughs> we're still. <laughs> so don't go disappearing. No, I'm yeah, not. He, I'm he just... didn't throw his arms up in the air this time. Yeah, the 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 NBA hates us. <laughs> like we're Real. tied for the most back to backs yes. for the season, and we have the third least amount of rest days. Yep. Yeah, but you know what? We actually have like i was saying before with our bench we like this team actually is capable of doing that with the amount of depth that we have on the team like it's not just a like stars and then you know just some guys who should be like on a on a, a lesser team it's it's actual players like i i wanted to talk to um to adam like it's just as far as asking him like did you know how good caruso was when he first got here um, but I think when you can like have those guys shift into those roles of not playing those starters minutes and just being able to impact the game in like small doses, uh, either even like a, a lot of people haven't really mentioned like the effect of a Javante Green, you know, just getting him like just playing like maybe somewhere between um, 12, 15 minutes a game, but having those small doses just to impact the team. Uh, on the defensive standpoint. Plus, have you guys been seeing, like, the videos that he's been putting out? Like, I don't know what happened to his game, but he's really elevated his game. Uh, have, have any of you all been seeing that? Yes, the videos that we posted on the podcast Twitter. <laughs> well, I've been, I've That's been, where I've been seeing them. <laughs> I haven't been watching those videos. I meant, like, other videos that I've seen that people have sent me because I have not been able to get online with, with my phone and everything. So um, other people have been sending me other stuff, like just like YouTube stuff that they came across. So I apologize if you all have been sending stuff, but you just clowned me on my phone that I had and you didn't congratulate me on the phone, the new hey, phone that I had. congratulations on your new phone. No, it's too late now. <laughs> it's, it's never too late. I, I kind of, yeah. We, we congratulated you off the air. We're I'm pretty excited. I mean, you disappeared for three days and then popped up with a new number. Yeah, I guess I should have told you all that that was me. <laughs> Derek was like, is this Justin? <laughs> this, this, like, today he texts me, it's Justin. I'm like, I know. <laughs> We've been texting for the last three days. <laughs> I'm just making sure. Can't be too safe. 
Of course, before we get out of here, I have to mention we are 12 days away from Bulls Fest at the United Center. Um, Justin, unfortunately, says he got a new phone and he chose that over coming out to Bulls Fest with us. Poor decision making. You promised me a GoFundMe. So I'm just waiting for those funds to come. On it. And of course, at Bulls Fest will be Finders Keeper Shy. They are the leading brand in Chicago with vintage wear, including vintage Bulls wear. They are kind enough to be styling me and Melissa for the event. So, you know, if you run it to us, we'll point you in the direction to cop some good vintage Bulls gear from Finders Keepers. That looked like a sweater from the Cosby show. Did you see that that 90s looking sweater? <laughs> no, it just took me vintage. back. Vintage. I know. It just took it all me comes back. back. Yeah, it all comes back. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I'm gonna give us gonna sign off here. <laughs> Thanks again to the man of Justin's dreams, Adam Amin, for joining us. (laughs) Until next time, go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Tennis game over. The horn blows.